The reading is taken from James chapter 4, starting at verse 11 to chapter 5, verse 9, and it's on page 1215 of the Church Bible. James chapter 4, verse 11. Brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against a brother or sister or judges them speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you are not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. There is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. But you, who are you? to judge your neighbor. Now listen, you who say, today or tomorrow, we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why, you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, If it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. Now listen, you rich people. Weep and wail because of the misery that is coming on you. Your wealth has rotted, and moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. Look, the wages you failed to pay the workers who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the innocent one who is not opposing you. Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. You too be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. Don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning. Um, How we believe, how we believe, and especially... How we treat one another as believers speaks volumes to the world and either honors or dishonors God, I find. We've got a treat for you this morning. Um, I've got a video clip and um, a good proportion of you in the church will know two of these characters. And if you don't know them, turn to your neighbor and see if they do. It is a baptism ceremony. And that was 
That was Roberto Firmino, the Liverpool and Brazil striker, getting baptized. And he was being lowered into the water by his pastor. And the other man was Alisson, who is the Liverpool goalkeeper and Brazil's number one. Probably two of the 20 greatest footballers in the world. It is no wonder that Liverpool are winning the title out of Cantor. Um, and, and as a City fan, that has enabled me to say congratulations with a broad smile when Liverpool win. Um, but isn't it extraordinary? The reason you couldn't understand anything, by the way, was it was all in Portuguese. That's <clears throat> and, and the singer was not a superimposed track. She is a uh, world world leading singer from Brazil. Uh, she's a huge pop star in Brazil. And that was done here in Firmino's own swimming pool um, in Cheshire. <laughs> you what? You don't have your own swimming pool. <clears throat> just going to just going to read to you what the Daily Mail wrote about it. Roberto Firmino and teammate Alisson Becker were left in tears after the Liverpool Four was baptised in an emotional ceremony held in his own swimming pool. A large crowd of friends and family, including midfielder Fabinho, watched on as the Brazilian went through the traditional Christian baptism. In the caption on Instagram, by the way, this has had over 100 million hits, Firmino said, I gave you my failures and the victories I will give you too. My greatest title is your love, Jesus. Therefore, Firmino said, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. New time. And as he entered the water, Firmino was handed a microphone and said, Jesus is love. There is no explanation. Just believe it. Just believe it and feel the Holy Spirit. Isn't that encouraging? Isn't that encouraging? How we behave speaks volumes to the world. This is the church showing the world what it looks like to stand together and to love one another. And, of course, what we've got in our hands now is a tremendous um, evangelistic tool because I've shown that to so many people this week who haven't a clue about the church, but the overall response has been, wow. And I showed it to um, a friend here in Winchester who runs one of the cafes, big football fan, and he looked at it and he said, when you think of what so many superstars and professional footballers, how they live. He said, doesn't this just make your heart beat? And not not a believer doesn't really understand what's going on with baptism, but you can just see it on their faces. How they treat one another, how they stand together in love, says so much. And that is what James is striking at today. So James, who wrote this letter that we're reading from today, was the brother of Jesus. We're almost certain, well, we know James, we're almost certain it was that James who wrote. Uh, It was written to, it says at the beginning, the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. A sense of the believers spread to the four winds in the early stages of the church. So think of that now as the church worldwide. And most of the letter that he writes is about no compromise. James has a very different flavor to much of Paul. This is all about, not that Paul was a compromiser, but this is all about no compromise, stand firm in the world. And so much of his language is about relationships within the family of Christ. We hear one another, among you, between you, and so on. So James puts a great emphasis on how we live together. So in short, he's writing to encourage us to stand firm. He doesn't pull his punches, and he shows us how, at the moment, we often take relationships for granted. Today's passage is chapter 4, 11 to 5, verse 9. Helpful if you have your Bibles open. It's on page 1215 at the bottom right, very near the end of the Bible. 
not essential but helpful. And we're going to look today at two major teachings, two major teachings about grumbling and about slandering. And then we're going to take a brief acknowledgement of two more along the way. So slandering and grumbling is what is before us today. Do not slander. This, strangely, is about, well, it's not strange, but it's, it's an interesting journey to get there. It's about acceptance. It's about acceptance. Accepting one another is at the heart of a flourishing Christian community. Accepting one another is the basis for who we are and what we do. We begin in verse 11 today. Brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. I looked up slander. Slander is the action or crime of making a false spoken statement damaging to a person's reputation. Damaging to a person's reputation. Those of you of a certain age will remember Simon and Garfunkel and the concert in Central Park and the great line in the song, Keep the Customer Satisfied. I get slander, libel, I hear words I never hear in the Bible. Um, Which is great, isn't it? That's Paul Simon saying slander and the Bible are complete opposites. And he's he's exactly right. James in the NRSV says, do not speak evil of one another brothers and sisters. Do not speak evil. That's what we're basically getting at. And then he continues, anyone who speaks against his brother or sister judges them, speaks against the law, and judges it. Speaks against all judges. James is using these as synonyms for slander. So this is not just about the full monty of legal defamation. We're not saying it's just wrong to legally defame someone. He's saying it is actually wrong to speak against someone in in any way. Basically, he's extending it to putting each other down. We are not to put one another down, either to our face or behind our back. We're not going to do that. Judgment is so prevalent in our society. If we cannot do this, this sets us apart because judgment is so prevalent. I hear so often, what an idiot, or worse than that, but what an idiot, right? But Jesus teaches that just that expression brings the fires of hell, right? Jesus didn't say, that's not a great thing to say. He said, if you say you're an idiot, you are in danger of the fires of hell. Now, that is serious language from a man as beautiful as Jesus. So he's really carrying a charge with that. So what's he saying? Because idiot's not a bad word. It's not, you know, it doesn't get four four asterisks on a website. It's not a bad word. But to say you're an idiot carries with it the fires of hell. Why? Because we're judging the person. We're judging the person. This is really subtle but really important. It is perfectly fine to say, I think that was a stupid thing to do. Or even more directly, sorry, for me, that is stupid. But to say you're an idiot is to judge the person. So you can judge the action, but not the person. Be careful of our language. Anything that has you always or you never or he always or she never, that is judgmental. It cannot be true. It cannot be true. He's always late. No, he's not. A lot of people could say to me, I'm always late. I am often late. But I've caught every flight. <laughs> so I'm not always late. It's just not true. It's just not true. It only depends on the stakes. 
She always, he always is even worse because you're talking about someone behind their backs. So we're seeking to form subtle alliances, right? Yeah, don't you think Simon's, Simon's always grumpy on a Monday morning? Yeah, he's always grumpy. Actually, he's a bit of a pain, isn't he? Yeah, he's a bit of a pain. And we ramp it up. We ramp it up. It's horrible. May I offer you a, I just use this test. We call it the, it comes, it comes from my firm actually. We call it the red face test. We say, if this person heard me speaking now, would I blush? If I'm talking about Guy to Graham, and I'm saying Guy is, Guy isn't Guy, and I think, if he's here, would I blush? Would I use the same language? That's the test. That's the test. If we use the same language to their face, then we're halfway there. But the antidote to all this is acceptance. The antidote to all this judging is acceptance. It do, acceptance of someone does not signify agreement with everything they say. We can disagree with someone's viewpoint or position, but it means we don't attack their integrity or their identity. So if you go back to 4.11 again, we're still on the first verse. It's a brilliant verse. When we speak against or judge a brother or sister, the apostle says we're breaking the law. That's extraordinary. We're breaking the law. What law? And the answer is, friends, the law of love. Right? Jesus says, this is my commandment. Love one another. Love one another. If we are judging and we are not accepting, we are not loving one another. So we are breaking the law. And he goes on to say, again, in this incredible verse, still in verse 11, this is setting ourselves above the law. This means we're actually judging the law. We're saying the law is inadequate. The law is wrong. I'm just going to judge you and I don't care what the law says. This is so clear if we think about it now. God is the lawmaker. So if we judge and set ourselves up as gods, we're saying the law doesn't do it for me. So we're judging God. Can you imagine that we're judging God? That is serious. And that's where James takes us to. It is that serious. So if we are speaking against our brother or sister, we are judging God. And to judge the law is to judge the giver of the law. That's why. So Jesus warns us that if we judge, we invite judgment of ourselves. That's the next thing. So that will be pretty horrid for most of us. He says, do not judge or you will be judged. Jesus gave us righteousness by the cross so that we can withstand the day of judgment. We are now righteous in the sight of God. Would we discard that? That's the only way we can stand. It boils down to, would I like to, if I, if I use this rule to judge other people, would I like that rule to be used on me? And the answer is always no. It's always no. The same rule as I pass over someone else, that will be used to pass over me. So guess what? Let's not do it. Let's just accept the grace of God and the forgiveness and the righteousness that is ours now by right. And we will stand at the day of judgment. And then in verse 12, James brings it home. <clears throat> and note the huge contrast, the huge contrast with us. God alone is the lawgiver. God alone is able to save and destroy. There is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. But you, who are you to judge your neighbor? He's reminding us of this unbearable awesomeness of God. God is holy. God is right. Our petty judging of one another is offensive to him. But in sharp contrast, friends, God is delighted when we accept one another with all our apparent failings. I know, I know you all have failings. I have tons of failings. Let's not dwell on them. Let's start by accepting. Let's start by accepting. 
Who are we not to accept one another? Acceptance is the foundation for trust in relationships. And from trust flows so many good things. So many good things. The greatest of which is love. So that's acceptance, right? Now we're going to do two very short parentheses. Okay, so first of all, this little passage at the bottom of page one, uh, page one, two, one, five, which the editor's called Boasting About Tomorrow, <clears throat> it's 13 to 17. And the message here is, we easily presume too much. <clears throat> we easily presume too much. This is distinct from having a Christ-centered confidence about tomorrow. So the proverb famously speaks of the wife of noble character, who says, uh, who, the, who the writer says, can laugh at the days to come. He says she can laugh at the days to come because she has everything it takes. Proverbs 31, 25. And when we're in Christ, we can laugh at the days to come. We don't have to have fear. <clears throat> we don't have to, <clears throat> excuse me, be concerned with what lies ahead. But that is very different from what Paul is warning against, from what James is warning against, which is worldly arrogance, which is, look at me. I'm above it all. I do what I want. I have no need of anyone. I have no need of God. Notice, it's the same theme that's coming through. It's putting me first. I'm in charge. I'm judging God. I'm putting him to one side. Hey, I'm going to go to this city and trade. I'm going to make a fortune. Woof. It's not about that. This is about trusting God. I move forward. It's a different thing. Number two of our parentheses. Sorry, sorry, I should just summarize. I wrote a little summary of that, so I, I want to share with you. So the summary of that is, it is good to know our dependence on God, not to feel weak, but so that we know where our source of strength is. Right? So it's good, it's good to know our dependence on God, not because he wants us to feel weak, but because he wants us to know where to go for the strength. If we turn inside for the strength, it only lasts so long. If we turn to Jesus for the strength, it's inexhaustible, right? Second parenthesis, over the page, verses 1 to 6, chapter 5. <clears throat> this is about the responsibility that comes with wealth and leadership. This teaching, uh, we could have great fun with this. The language in here is extraordinary. Absolutely extraordinary. Your gold and silver are corroded. Your wealth is rotted. Weep and wail because of the misery that is coming on you. The wages you fail to pay cries out against you. Self-indulgent, luxury, fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter. It's language. Oh, my goodness. We don't often preach that stuff. Very, very challenging. But here's the take. This teaching is about living our calling versus abusing our privilege. So the people James describes here are not merely wealthy and powerful. I know quite a few wealthy and powerful people, some of whom are really wonderful, godly men and women. Jesus is talking about oppressors, arrogant, self-indulgent, scornful of others, people who live in oppression, who use their God-given wealth and power, God, it is God who gives these gifts, who use their God-given wealth and power to oppress. It's God who gives wealth. It's God who gives influence. Once again, just like a moment ago, it's all about the source. It's all about knowing where 
the source of my energy is the source of my goodness and remaining in the source. Thine is the kingdom, not mine is the kingdom and the power and the glory. Or in the immortal words of our friend J. John, God owns all the donuts. It all belongs to God. It all belongs to God. Right. And the second major one for today. Don't grumble. Don't grumble. And this is in seven to nine. The bit that's entitled Patience and Suffering. So again, James approaches this from a diagonal path. It's about grumbling, but he approaches it from be patient in verse 7. He is, what he means by patient here, he's talking about being patient in waiting for the kingdom of God. I'm going to be patient in how I wait for the kingdom of God. <clears throat> but he quickly moves on to grumbling. He observes that when we're impatient, because we're upset at the way things are not happening the way we think they should, or at a pace that we think they should, we get on to blaming. When we lose control in this way, we lash out and we start to blame. We start to blame other people for why things aren't going well. And often, we blame the person closest to us who's trying to make our life better. Don't answer this, but when was the last person time you blamed someone very, very close to you? Claire can answer that from our, from our perspective. I'm going to ask her not to. I think it was about 8.30 this morning by which time the sermon was written. Blaming is the exact converse of taking ownership. Blaming is the exact converse of taking ownership. And of course, it's another form of judgment. It's just judgment coming up again. I'm Here, I'm judging the person I'm blaming or grumbling about. If only John would shut up and stop putting his oar in, or if if only Anna would get involved and stop telling everyone else what to do. You can hear the language. We use it all the time. Once again, James is super serious. He says, the judge is standing at the door. The judge is standing at the door, and we know he has the power to save or destroy from just a few verses ago. If I judge, I will be judged. In the first case, the, the, the antidote was acceptance. Here, the antidote is gratitude. So gratitude leads to a beautiful double upward spiral. Gratitude, basically, the more grateful I am, the more positively I assess my own state. The more positively I see things, the more I'm grateful. It's a reinforcing spiral, and the less likely I become to blame someone else. The wonderful Bill Bryson, in his Notes from a Small Island, complimented the British for many things, many quintessential things, including our frequent use of the phrase, mustn't grumble. As an American, he was thrilled with this phrase. How are you, mustn't grumble? A great compliment that he said that. But I just thought, maybe it's an aphorism we should take at face value, right? James would agree. We mustn't grumble. Let's not do it. Both slander and grumbling are rooted in the same behavior, which is judging. So instead of slandering and grumbling, let's accept and let's be thankful. Acceptance and gratitude. Acceptance and gratitude. So here's the take from today. We live in a time of great pressure and great anxiety. There's all sorts of battle going on in the heavenly realms, of which we know very little. I observe fear and anxiety 
everywhere. I'm not saying that the Chinese virus isn't dangerous, but at the moment it's at the level of a thousand people in a world of six billion. We we have to take it seriously, but we're not to be afraid, right? Climate change is very, 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 very serious. We have to take it seriously, but we're not to be afraid. We live in a time of great, great fear and great pressure. In these times, how we treat other people is critical. If we judge our brothers and sisters in the family of Christ, what chance do we have of bringing the light of Jesus to the wider world, which is what we're all about? How we treat one another shows the state of our hearts, and our hearts show the state of our relationship with God. Our Father in heaven is the great judge of all, and we are not exempt. I am not exempt. But I am made righteous, so I have no fear. We are made righteous, so we have no fear. Instead, we have gratitude. Gratitude flows from patience. Sorry, from gratitude flows patience. With patience comes acceptance, and with acceptance comes love. This is the work of the Spirit of God. To live from love and not from fear. These are the contrasting paradigms. We, are, we live from love and not from fear. And then our light spreads through the church and through the world. So, Roberto Firmino, you are so right. We are a new creation. And they will say of us as they say of you and your friends Alison and Fabinho and all the rest. They will say, see how they love one another. See how they love one another. My friends, when they say that of us, there is no greater witness. That's what we strive for and own today, yeah? Amen.